Because the other side of it, of course, is, and we talked about the perception of people who are coded as fat. And as you said, yeah, A.D. Bryant does use that word. Lindy West does. That there's more of a priority on being nice, right? Like that that has to be a bigger factor. Bitch is a luxury reserve for skinny people. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lainey. I'm the editor at LaineyGossip.com, also a talk show host and an entertainment reporter. And yes, I'm Alexi. I'm Duana Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer. And I think Monica Aldana at Navarro Community College would hate the word nice. On today's episode, we are getting shrill with A.D. Bryant and debating what nice means. Plus, Alison Brie has a movie at Sundance. It's autobiographical, and she's done something really clever with how she's mobilizing her fandom. And are you on the mat or are you off the mat? Yes! (laughs) We talk about cheer, everyone's favorite obsession or your soon-to-be favorite obsession. That's why I'm Alexi. Duanna says she's Monica. This is Show Your Work. Make an educated guess that you don't have a LinkedIn. Correct. I don't have a LinkedIn. I th- when did I don't know when it happened, LinkedIn. Yeah, me neither. Maybe 2010? Maybe. Um, and I definitely was already full-time screenwriting at that point, but I was like, I don't know, maybe this is something that people do, right? The same yeah. way that we for five seconds were like, should we have a TikTok? And then you're like, no, we're 20 no. years too old for a TikTok. No. But I still have not managed to unsubscribe from the LinkedIn emails. And so you Wait, get... do you have a LinkedIn? Like, it exists, but it has nothing... It has my face on it, um, like, from a picture from 2011. I think I cropped you out of half of it. But you don't update it? Ever. Okay. Um, but it's there. Go see my LinkedIn if you want. Anyway, but they send you job emails, right? Yeah. And so I looked at one that I got recently, and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, obviously, I'm not applying for these jobs. Uh, And then I came to one, predator. Do you know what a predator is? Like beyond the basic definition. Beyond the basic definition. No. So let's talk about whether this is a good idea. A predator is a producer editor. It's somebody who, and it's meant to be like generally speaking in like non-scripted TV or maybe in documentary, right? who can go out and make the thing, but also has the skills to cut it. Right. And it's like a known term. It's not like this one job was the one to come up with it. And I just, should we not be thinking about rebranding this at this point? Yes. Like where, because you know somebody thought it was clever, right? Yes. Otherwise it would be called like an adducer or something. Yes. Uh, Pre-Me Too, obviously, someone thought it was clever. Yeah. Now, not so clever. 
No, but like it's been some years now since pre-Me Too. Like it's scandalous to me. And I'm like. But isn't, if as you said, it's embedded into the culture of your industry, no? And and not mine, but an industry, right? Like as I say, it's mostly, I think it's more in doc, more in non-scripted TV. But um, like it's a concept that people know. But I think that job existed before or it existed uh, you know, in general, once media squeezes started coming down and people had less money, it used to be there was a producer and an editor. Why would you not have two separate positions? Right. But yeah, since things have been coming together, yes, as much as you might be a writer producer right. or a host writer or whatever, yeah, a producer editor. Yeah. Predating needs a rebrand. A hundred percent. Or at least the noun profession of predating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Like you can be that, but we need to call it something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it I. It's catchy though. It's better than a deucer. That uh, is fucking weird. Oh, absolutely. Plus that sounds like seducer. Also not great. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is too, I think that we kind of love portmanteaus, right? Yes. Like that is a holdover from when I worked at eTalk and sort of uh, was dying out by the time you came uh, was that that hybridizing of couple names. Like right. Brangelina was the was the huge yeah. one. Yeah, Benifer Brangelina, yes. Yeah, obviously. Um, but people would try to do it with everyone. There were all kinds of them, right? Yeah. Like um, what was – I feel like Justin and Brittany had one. Did they? But they didn't like Br- – Like Brittany – no, sorry. Justin and Selena definitely have one. Uh, yeah, but it's lazy when it's just the first yeah, initial correct. with the other name, yeah. right? Um, like Brangelina works because there's you have three quarters of his name yeah. in with hers, right? Yes. I mean, I guess like there's – in Twilight, there was Robston. Yes, of course. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that is the last major one, I would say. It, well, what was the one um, – there was one uh, – uh, oh, Scarjost. Yes, yes. I mean, Scarjo is its own kind of portmanteau on its own, as though we can't say the full syllables of Scarlett Johansson. But Scarjost is like, look, it's I can see the face you're making. It's kind of barfy, but it's it's perfect. It's pretty clever. Yeah, it's it's perfect for those two in particular. A hundred percent in five different ways. Although, you know what? I will say props to him for knowing that he is a punch me face which is the title of his book, a face. I think it's something along the lines of, I have a face that you want to punch or something like that. Oh, yeah, 100%. Colin Jost and the Colin Jost persona before dating Scarlett Johansson was already well into the, like, he was already leaning into, look how obnoxious I am. Yeah, he's Ansel Elgort, like, 10 years older. Is that Ansel Elgort's MO? A face you want to punch? In, wait, that's the face he has or that's the attitude he has about who he is? Both. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I thoroughly support anybody who is that self-aware. Yeah. To call your book that is, yeah, I will, I'll give him that. He's not my favorite, um, but fine. Uh, yeah. I That to me speaks to a certain awareness that I'm excited yeah. to get into. Um, but yeah, I do think we kind of love a, we love a hybrid word. And I should have prepared more for this by 
by locking some up. But I love a hybrid word. I I love a brunch. I love a like. I love it until it becomes brunch. Well, like, how do you mean? I love it until it becomes brunch is a thing to do. And the people who go for brunch and talk about going to brunch. You go to brunch all the time just because you call it breakfast. If you meet somebody at 11, a friend of ours told me last week that you have brunch every single week. Uh, now, with them? Yes. No. Yes. Kayla said that you and she go for brunch every single week. Now, you can call it breakfast and you can say that it's not brunch because you go to like a cafe that serves like they don't have a brunch menu for just Sundays and Saturdays. No, it's a place. Okay, first of all, it's because brunch comes with certain types of places to go. Like the place that is, uh, there's a lineup around the corner and is in this hip ass neighborhood. See, that I disagree. Is brunchy, and that becomes brunch wasn't just in invite. Is so fucking annoying. The people but brunch who say wasn't they just invented ten years ago with the advent of the hipster. Like you just said, you just found out that I meet our friend for breakfast or whatever. No, for brunch. Because it's not announced. It's just whatever. But when people go to brunch, it becomes a, oh, I'm going to brunch. I just, I think think brunch predated that annoyance that you have with the hipster lineup. And I get it. That's right. So I like a word, a hybrid word until it becomes it, until it becomes that tipping point. Yeah, but I think you can be doing a thing even if you don't like it. Like, I still think if you're going to meet her anytime after 9 a.m., it's brunch on a weekend. Sorry, but uh, no. I think the brunchy is, it's for those people who can't meet until 11 and then have to go to the place where everybody goes to meet around 11. So what are you doing with her on the weekends? We meet at 9 Actually, uh huh. After I go to the gym and we have breakfast at a non-cool place and we don't talk about it. Okay. All right. <laughs> sure. That's certainly yeah. that's not brunching by by sure. Yeah. That's okay. That's it. That's just two friends who meet to eat. Fine. Uh, you'll notice <laughs> it's not as catchy. <laughs> to meet to eat. Um. Yes. But yeah, I hear you about the predating. Predator? Yeah. Predator is bananas. Predator as a profession needs to go. Right. If you are a predator, please lobby to have your title changed. But also, again, if there's more of these that I don't know about, if you're a like a lawyer, but also, I don't know, an accountant, if you're a loikin something, tell me. I love them. I can't help it. Okay. So this week, uh, first of all, we mentioned Colin Jost. Yeah. Um, we haven't talked about Saturday Night Live in a few episodes. Exercise restraint. Possibly because there hasn't been a new Saturday Night Live in a few episodes. So the first Saturday Night Live of 2020 went off really well, actually. Um, <sighs> it pains me to have to say this, and I think it pains you a little bit, because we both find this person exhausting. Except on Saturday Night Live. Oh, he's great. I We're just going to say it. We spent... Most of early Saturday night ranting about Adam Driver. Yeah. And how exhausting he is in the press. Yes. And then I watched him on Saturday Night Live and just fell in love again. He's fucking amazing. He's he's so good. From the moment the monologue happened, 
I fucking loved him in that video, like the slow video, take it slow. Like this. Oh, yeah. the like the slow jams. Yes. I fucking loved him in that. He killed me, killed me in that. Um, he was great. He's great. He's sexy uh, in his command of comedy, which is a really weird sentence I didn't expect to ever say, but yeah. it's a true thing. His timing is great. Yeah. He doesn't make it obvious that he's reading cue cards. He obviously it would be so him to fucking memorize all his lines from this from the sketches. Oh, it would you know be he so did fucking him. Yeah, um, I still find him exhausting, and I hate myself for enjoying him on SNL. But I can admit it; he was very enjoyable and very good. I don't hate myself, and I just find him desperately attractive in those moments. And and when he's as anytime he's not being Adam Driver, uh, I find him to be a delight. Or Adam Driver in print. Maybe he's wonderful, like, in a coffee lineup, but I'm not sure that's the case. But a serious lack of A.D. Bryant this episode. Yes. Um, but that, and it did bother me because I'm like, I want to see those two. They're almost like actually diametrically opposed humans, right? Yeah. You've talked a lot about uh, Chinese astrology in the past week yeah. and how like certain signs don't interact well or shouldn't interact well. That's right. And with exceptions. With exceptions, such as us sitting here right now. Right. But I would love to see Adam Driver and A.D. Bryant in the same frame because they're like everything that her comedy is, is about unicorns and went, oh, maybe was she in that sleepover sketch? Uh, about the pad that got flushed? Yes, she was. Right. She was, yes. But otherwise, not a huge no. week for her. No. Yeah, not enough A.D. Bryant right. this week. Um, but, of course, maybe that's because she's been doing all this press for the second season of Shrill, mm -hmm. which dropped uh, this week. Is it? What is it? Hulu? It's Hulu. Yeah. And in Canada, it's on Crave. Right. So I have not dug into the second season yet. That is my treat for this weekend for when I binge on things that nobody else wants to see and I get to just have it to myself. But I'm super excited. I'm excited too. I didn't finish the first season, but I read all the publicity <laughs> for the first season and we actually talked about one of her interviews um, on, I think it was a year and a half ago when she was promoting the first season. We talked about it on this show because she was talking about costuming. She was talking about you know, having a character obviously based on Lindy West um, or Lindy West's writing. And um, she was talking about the sort of freedom of portraying someone who isn't, let's say, standard size. You, what was the term you used a couple of weeks ago? Straight size? Straight size. Who isn't straight size. That is the PC term now. Uh, it's it's the official clothing industry term is that okay. there's straight sizes and then plus sizes. Okay. So someone who isn't like straight sizes, conventional television actress sizes, and not have to portray them in a traumatic way. That was season one's sort of press angle. Right. Um, that they weren't suffering. That, you know, it wasn't a constant thing, a storyline. Oh, my weight, my weight, my weight. Right. And that is something that absolutely I would say is true. So, yeah, it's based on Lindy West's book, Shrill, but it's very much uh, clear that the character is her own thing. Yeah. Uh, character's name is Annie. And yeah, she has bad bosses and bad boyfriends and people who underestimate her um, all the same way that 
it might be on any other show like this, New right? Girl, like whatever. on Girls or Broad City yeah. or Insecure. All of these things are seen through yeah. Annie's eyes. And Annie is a character who wears plus-size clothing, but it's not the defining characteristic. That's right. And I think you have to have a like a press tour based on that messaging for season one. And what I noticed in this new interview that you sent over, I think it is it Vulture? It's Vulture. Yeah. And it actually came to us uh, from Twitter. Uh, there was somebody who quite accurately predicted that it would be a good show your work story. It was uh, Kimberly Ray. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kim, for that. So for me, what stood out is, okay, now in season two, you have the freedom to also, and this is very meta, get away from conversations about the character's weight and what you're trying to do and actually have a very, not normal, but a press tour where you're talking about work process and work attitude and perspective. Yeah. Uh, Hi, A.D. Bryant. How do you manage being on two hit shows at the same time? That's right. How do you, yeah, how are you the boss? How are you? All the things that, as you say, you would ask, right? It's almost, that's a term we should come up with something for, like the asterisk questions. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking about how, I wonder if Issa Rae is done with the questions that say, as a black woman, how do you find blah, 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 blah. That's right. And as of this, like it's the, yeah, it's the get them out of the way questions. Right. And in a meta way, the real life application of how she's doing press is one year delayed from the storytelling process of not having to have a character who talks about her weight all the time. Yes, for sure. Um, What's interesting about that, though, is that maybe because so much of the press was focused on yeah, this is a character who was Lindy West, who talked about her weight, who blah, 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 um, back in season one. There are parts of this article that are still almost talking about the beginning origins of the show, right? Like, uh, we've gotten out of the way of what is it like to do this or that as a as a fat woman or plus-size woman or character. I think... I think A uses the word fat as a self-descriptor, so I will use that word. Lindy certainly does. Right. Um, But we've gotten those questions out of the way, as you say, but then there's still kind of these questions of, well, how do you do this as a woman? Like Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of, we've replaced one set of asterisks with another. Yeah. And that's not a criticism of this article. I think it's sort of about A.D. talking about her experiences. Do you agree? I agree. I agree. I don't think it's the fault of the reporter, for example. It's not a a journalistic thing. It's, yeah, by and large, it's also an extension of the character. I mean, you just mentioned this is someone who has a job, who has problems with bosses, who is dating or looking to date and has friend drama. Um, And, you know, as you mentioned the, what, companion or equivalent shows are Girls and Broad City, and these are modern female complications slash real-life story, not real-life narratives. Yeah, I bet that um, scripts aside, like voices aside, I bet you could pick up a script and a scenario from Shrill and swap it with a script and scenario from Insecure, Mm -hmm. and that they would be almost... Uh, seamlessly yeah. incorporated into each other's worlds, right? Yeah. The characters are different, but the scenarios are the same. 
Um, but to that end, you know, they talk about how uh, A.D. Bryant talks about how when they were first working on the show and she said she wouldn't do the show unless she was also able to write and produce. But for example, uh, the producers wanted Annie, that's the character, to start the season wearing dumpy clothes and then go through the classic transformational makeover scene to signal a woman finally gaining self-confidence. Bryant vetoed that. It was a lot of conference calls with me saying, I think this is condescending and I'm telling you this is how it has to be. I've never been that person, so we don't want to put that on screen. So that's your standard quote of what is it like to be a woman yeah. in the business who's defending her choices, blah, blah, blah. Yes? Yep. But it's part of a bigger um, frame of this article that I really, really loved. And that is that there are a lot of people kind of looking at A.D. Bryant all, oh, I'm surprised at your success because everybody who met her on the way up, and by the way, She's 32, which is deeply, <laughs> yeah, your face that you just made is yeah. how I feel about that. Um, but everybody who met her on the way up, up to and including like her, you know, college professors and afterward and whatnot were like, oh, she was really nice. She was really nice. Mm -hmm. The implication, of course, being like… Most people don't get ahead. Yeah. She can't… I, I'm surprised she did so well because… She was just nice. She wasn't ambitious. She wasn't whatever, that talented. She was just nice. So, of course, that's a fucking fallacy, right? Because we know she's talented. We can see it. It's spilling off the screen. And they point out that she was on SNL, has been on SNL now for eight years. And she, like, arrived when she got onto that show, yeah. right? But you don't, you cannot be there for being nice. So, I guess my question to you is, as a work conversation… What do you think of the pitfalls or maybe the the secret joys of being perceived as nice, of being under the radar? Well, I don't see it that way in this story. My takeaway from it is how refreshing that we're getting away from the stereotype of if you are in particular a woman who is nice, you can't get ahead because you have to play this cutthroat game, that there has to be a trail of bodies in your wake for you to have arrived at this point. And that is definitely a stereotype. That is a belief. Many would, many people would say that that's a reality, that because there isn't space at the table or hasn't been space at the table for women, you kind of had to take each other out. It's kind of a nice flip to, to what that is to be like, hey, you know what? You don't have to be a dick all the way up. I mean – that is, if if this was a therapy podcast, I would read this. Uh, I think that's fascinating because I didn't read this that way at all, which is to say I don't disagree with you. Like I, I'm delighted too not to have the narrative of, oh, you know, you got to tear each other down and there's only space for one of you, that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, I read it the exact opposite way. I read it as uh, nice is nice is what you say about somebody when you have nothing else to say. When you have no other descriptors of somebody, when you can't say they're talented or they're funny or they're like vivacious or whatever, you say they're nice. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it's the worst of, what's that expression? Like damning with faint praise? Yeah. Um, so I read in each instance of nice in this 
in this interview, I read it as an insult. Am I damaged? Like, am, no. is that a problem? No, I don't think you're damaged. I think different people have different takeaways. Um, my takeaway, I guess where my lens is, is that I'm generally not nice. Like, I'm not that warm. I'm not what you would consider to be like a soft, nice person. And so I like hearing about nice people getting to a point of success. But do you want to be described as nice? Um, I'm indifferent. Like Really? Are you? Yeah. Okay. There are other things that are worse to me than nice. Like, I mean, okay, I, without pulling out a laundry list of yeah. all the things. I'm indifferent. It's neutral to me. Okay, great. Like, it would surprise me if somebody thought I was nice. Right. But I don't think I would be insulted. I, I guess I feel like it's coded. I do feel like it's coded only for women. Mm-hmm. We rarely describe men in the workplace as nice. 100% agree. Right? Like that is something that is for women. And the other part about nice. Well, when we do describe someone as nice and he's a man, it's a, it's a surprise. Like it's almost like, and he's nice. Oh, he's like, nice. It's, it's one of those things that it's like, and he's nice. Like it's an addition. It's a, a bonus. Right. And it's often the exception, right? It's the one nice guy in the department full of terrible people that you have to call to deal with your, I don't know, yeah, whatever. I'm trying to, not to gender a department, but. Yeah. Or even in your dating life, God, he's so hot and he's like so sexy and he has this amazing job and he's nice but- as if you can't expect to have all those things. First of all, but even then, I don't think that we would I think if I said to you, I'm dating a guy who's sexy and smart and funny and nice, I I don't think that that is a braggy term. I think if we were talking about somebody who's considerate and thoughtful and like, you know, has an eye view outside of themselves, I think we would say any number of other things like considerate or thoughtful or… Yes. Generous or whatever. Right. Nice is… It, it seems to have an asterisk. And it's neutered. Yeah, it's kind of neutered. Yeah. And at best, it wipes out all the other things, right? Nice is a catch-all. What's that person like? They're nice. Yeah. I, you know, maybe that's why I'm reacting to it so strongly. Uh, I'll give you a very personal example. The other day, uh, we were all talking, a group of our friends, and uh, – One of our friends told a true story about she got lost. She was in the middle of nowhere. What was she going to do? And she called me and dropped a pin to show me where she was. And because I have excellent map reading skills, I directed her out of there. Like I read the map and told her how to get out of there. Right? Yep. And what came out of that was people going like, aw, that's, I don't think people said that's so nice. But the sentiment is there. And I, selfish bitch that I am, I'm going like, can we not talk about my map skills? Like, (laughs) let's talk about how I'm a geographic genius. Let's talk about how I have a compass in my head. Right. Not that I was generous with somebody else. Right. Because it does seem to imply once you're nice, maybe this is the root of it. And I wonder whether this is, I suspect, still true in worlds where you're not A.D. Bryant, where your face is up on a TV screen, right? Once you are nice, it implies that you're putting other people's 
everything or other people's goals or needs or whatever ahead of your own, that there isn't the drive there. Nice is antithetical to self-interest, it seems. Right. Also, if I may, and here's where we might be going into a therapy session. Go on. You and eighty your creatives, your writers. Obviously, you just said nice is the lazy way. Like, it's a lazy word because it isn't specific. Right. It's a catch-all. That's right. So as writers and creatives, you guys get really specific about drawing your characters. Like, you would never describe in a pitch meeting, I'm writing a show about this character. Let's call her whatever, Shirley. And Shirley's nice. You would never do that. You'd, you'd, you'd lose the pitch. You would not be successful. You would get specific. AD is um, always the first to show up when a girlfriend needs help because she is so generous with her time. She has fucking resources to spare. She this, she yes. whatever. She's kind. Loves yeah. animal. Even the word kind yes. is more specific. That's right. She always has the best suggestions that are tailored specifically to who she's giving them to. She is thoughtful in that way and understands a person's personality before she makes a recommendation. So people, again, people like you and Aidy, abhor nice because it's not telling the story. Or in your mind, you're like, but uh, let me dig a little deeper. What kind of nice? As in motherly nice, sisterly nice, friendly nice. But there's no I good think that's nice. that's why you're bumping up against it. I'm saying there's no good nice. There's no use of nice, in my opinion, that is, that isn't a veiled takedown. Well, I disagree. Okay. I think that there are some people who use the word nice and it's meant to be a genuine compliment. It's not like shady. It's not meant to be like, actually, this person's really boring. They use it to mean that this person is lovely, that they like them, that there's, you know, that they like to be around them. I guess so. But then I think that it's usually followed with specifics. I think nice is a, nice is, you're right. I find it lazy, but it's also seen as a catch-all. And I love what she says about what not being nice, uh, so to speak, means in terms of, in terms of her work. She says that uh, now when a mistake is made, she doesn't just say it's fine like a 14-year-old girl. And I think that's what it, what it comes up against too, right? Like when you're a teenager or a young person, there is nothing scarier than being seen as not nice. Yes. Right? And so I think that's the idea there, that you can be things that don't qualify as nice. You can be demanding of better quality. Yeah. You can be firm. You can be uh, sexy. You can be definitive about things and still live to tell the tale. I think what is, there is a perception that nice means amenable. Yes. Go along to get along. That's right. And I, I think that there can be a differentiation between nice and not necessarily amenable. And yeah, agreed. I, I think we can begin to draw the distinction to go back to my takeaway from this piece yes. and this answer is we can, I hope, begin to make the distinction between someone can be nice, a great, a nice person to work with, and yet it doesn't mean they're a pushover. 
Right. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they um, agree to everything. It doesn't mean that they won't debate you, but it's a pleasant work experience. And I think that we're all about all of us are about more pleasant work experiences. Everybody wants that. Absolutely. Nobody wants to battle 10 battles before they get to their desk every day. Yeah. But yeah, the I think the barrier to that has been that any sort of pushback might mean that the first descriptor isn't nice. She's nice. She's yeah. That nice lady in accounting. She's right. nice. Um, so that was sort of what I, what I took from this. I'm not sure whether there's a meta level of this in shrill this season since, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously. Well, nice people generally aren't described as shrill. Well, there's that too, but I do think season one was definitely about, uh, Annie figuring out how much she could push and feel good about herself. That was sort of the marker of nice or not. Like, that's the other side of it is that I think Annie, the character, would have described herself as nice in the beginning of the show. And she does some things. I'm thinking of a scene in season one where she screams at a dude at his door, and it has its roots in a true story about Lindy West, but then goes way further. Um, And I think, yeah, that's sort of what it comes down to is how can you behave in the moment that the moment demands and still feel good about yourself and feel fine about who you are. And I think if you can feel good about yourself and want to be, as you say, the kind of person who people are happy to work with, happy to spend time with, then you're good. You don't have to have nice as your number one quality. Um, So it will be interesting to see how the show grapples with that this season. Because the other thing that was interesting, and maybe even that I don't think Insecure did this in its first season necessarily, um, the show allows our lead character, who we're definitely supposed to love, to be an occasional selfish person, to be an occasional, I wouldn't go so far as to say a jerk, but certainly to be uh, self-centered or to not consider other people and only realize it afterward. So I would be very interested to see the exploration of where we go from there. Like what happens when the continual not being nice is is removed. Because the other side of it, of course, is, and we talked about the perception of people who are coded as fat. And as you said, yeah, A.D. Bryant does use that word. Lindy West does. That there's more of a priority on being nice, right? Like that that has to be a bigger factor. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. Bitch is a luxury reserved for skinny people. I mean, that's a poll quote if I've ever heard one. That's that's really interesting. Um, and I wonder what, you know, in view of our talk last week about uh, Beyonce and her ideas about size and whatnot, like I can see that being a line that is quoted, exploited, et cetera. Um, yeah, I think it's fun. Um, and ironically, I think A.D. Bryant is a pleasant enough person, a like an endearing, uh, welcome presence on my screen that I want to see her go through that and do that. Let us know what you guys think of nice, what that word carries for you, whether or not you're more of a duana and how you see it or whether or not like me, 
you think that it can mean different things and it doesn't necessarily have to be a little bit of shade. Yeah. And I, and I, I should say, even though that was such a, I mean, yeah, let's let it lie. But I do think the asterisk is if it's a qualifier of one particular thing, um, you know, there was a nice little uh, napkin beside my plate. I don't think it's a detractor. But if you say, how was that place? It was nice. Nice. That was a tone, though. Well, but if it's- How the- was that place? It was nice. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, it might just be that you use it differently because I would never say that. If I felt the way you felt in that tone just now, mm-hmm. um, I don't think I would ever say it was nice. Okay. Let us know. Yeah. Let us know what you think of nice. Weigh in. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So uh, Sundance is happening. And one of the um, going in, one of on Sarah's list, one of the um, anticipated films that she wanted to see because a trailer dropped right before the festival is Alison Brie's Horse Girl. She also did a Vulture interview. Um, talking about why she wrote the film, um, what she's taking away from it, and um, like 80 shades of work in here. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, talk about nice. Like, Alison Brie is a certain type of person's dream girl, right? Especially early on in her career, she really played um, actually another character called Annie, the Annie Edison character on Community. But I feel like she played a few of these characters who were lovely, sweet girls who did things well. Um, And of course, she played Trudy Campbell, right? Like Trudy Campbell is the kind of character on Mad Men who was the epitome of nice in the way that you mean it. Warm, pleasant, friendly, etc. And then she has taken a turn into much, much more interesting roles. Uh, And I would try to define them, except that the title of this film almost does it for us. Yeah. Horse Girl. And once you get into it, it is not a spoiler. I mean, if you get into this interview, you, and if you've seen, and if you've seen the trailer, um, Horse Girl is kind of a little bit of a, like, uh, what do you call that? Uh, A Trojan horse. That's right. Uh A Trojan horse. It actually isn't really about a horse girl, but it is, but there's an alien angle. The character is a horse girl, self-identified or self, yeah. or, you know, we all understand what that, you, do you know that term? You knew that term before? Yeah. Like, cause I feel like they, like, did you, you knew a girl growing up who. For sure. Like had a long braid and yes. like, yeah. Grew up on like a, in a rural setting. Or even just, I I would extend horse girls to girls who have never actually been on a horse and live in the suburbs and just like draw pictures of them and like read Black Beauty a lot. Yes. So uh, apparently the film is not that. Yeah, it's a, there's a bait and switch. That's right. That's what I was looking for originally. 
Um, yeah, but Trojan horse though. I said Trojan horse. Come <laughs> on. And so there's like some kind of alien conspiracy happening here. There are mental health angles. She also based a lot of this on her own experience uh, with her mother and her mother's mother. Um, it's obviously a very personal story. She gets into here about um, her mother hasn't seen it. She's pretty nervous. Um, but I, anyway, what was your, what was your big, big thing from this article? Well, I mean, I know kind of what I should say. I should say that it's exciting that she, you know, it's the first film that she, uh, wrote or co-wrote and it's exciting that it's so personal and that she's revamping her career and all that kind of thing. But my actual big takeaway from this article is how can you write about your family that way and live to tell the tale? Right. I. That wasn't mine, but that wasn't mine. But of course, yes, I can appreciate how you would go there. That was my immediate first thought was that this is a story of, um, yeah, she's very clear that it's very autobiographical in lots of ways. Um, that it borrows largely from her mom and her grandmother. And that even her mother says, I think at some point or said to her, oh, you're going to write a movie someday about, uh, about my mother and I, aren't you? Yeah. And I just, I wonder, man, if you would ever, I, I don't know if you could do that. You could not do that in my family. Put it that way. Right. Like that's not, that's not cool. Or you'd have to be a lot more clear about, oh, no, this was a super work of fiction because uh, nobody in my world is well-adjusted enough to allow for their foibles to be uh, portrayed on screen, let alone expanded on in any way. Okay, but she did it anyway. Well, she did do it anyway, um, which that's another discussion for the therapy couch. Um, (laughs) And we can come back there. But tell me, what was your big takeaway? I love that she's already hoping that there are going to be Reddit threads dedicated to her show. To this movie. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. Yes. To this movie. That there are going to be people who go on message boards and try to, I don't know, break apart, unpack the the theory of it. Like forensic it a bit. Exactly. And that it's going to live on forever in this way. Like, I don't know, Inception. Right? I I mean, I, I, I love that because- I think that it would be disingenuous these days in 2020 to not understand the power of going viral or the power of a community online being built and formed around your story. You don't go out of your way to be like, what can I write so that Reddits will start um, uh, about my idea? But at the same time, I think it's only realistic to be like, hey, I'm doing this anyway. I'm so passionate about it. And I really hope that there's going to be an online forum for it. Right. I mean, you're right. You can't go into something doing that because you can't engineer a piece of entertainment. Well, and some people, listen, it's not like it hasn't happened before. In music, Lil Nas X essentially did it. Um, That's how Old Town Road started. Um, but I think in movies, it's a little Wait, bit Wait, say different. more. What do you mean? So uh, to go back to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, and the kids these days. Old Town Road was 
um, he was doing like he wanted to be in music, right? Yeah. And he, of course, being Lil Nas X and of his generation, and he's kind of a genius that way. He was on the social media that we don't know about yet or uh, we will never hear about. Or that has been and gone. Correct, right? And he was kind of like finding beats and figuring out what people liked. And he understood like the algorithm in a certain way that we will never. Uh, Yeah, I get it. And he put together a song Mm -hmm. and he dropped it in to the social media platforms that you and I aren't invited to. Yes. And it started picking up steam there. And then that's when it got so popular on TikTok and it got and it happened to get popular on TikTok because at the time on TikTok the kids were really into these western memes. This is late this is late 2018. Yeah. that it was already viral underground grassroots before it became like a single in the conventional way. Okay. And he manipulated those algorithms. Like he manipulated that system. I mean, to I make agree that, happen. that he gave the people what they wanted, right? But yes. he couldn't have engineered the rise of TikTok. He like it was a, a perfect storm, right? It's yeah, I, and he put things out there like way before Billy Ray Cyrus was a thing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in December of 2018 where he he kind of like advance planned this message and tweeted, wouldn't it be so awesome if Billy Ray Cyrus did this song with me? Like, you know, there are, the reason I'm saying this is because I don't want to leave everything up to happy accident for what happened to Lil Nas X in this song. That's unfair to him. It takes skill to be able to do what he's done over the last year. Yeah, I respect that 100%. But I still think that it's because he was studying music. It's because mm-hmm. he knew what the people would want, right? Like, it's not like he was – because millions have tried to engineer pop mm-hmm. hits and failed, right? Yep. Like, he understood what people wanted before they knew that they wanted it, which right. is really interesting in his case. Yeah, and he was like, and I can make that thing. Yeah. And, you know, to bring it back to Horse Girl, I think that you can – say, and I think this is kind of where you're going, like, I'm going to tell a really honest story about uh, a specific kind of mental illness story that I think we haven't seen and heard before. And I hope to God people are dissecting it online and so forth. But I don't think you can reverse engineer that and say, well, I'd like to make some money and, uh, you know, have a film that's released in all kinds of places. And what are the kids talking about? Mental health? Great. Let's do that movie. Right. Because it will fail miserably. There's a there's an expression that I've always liked uh, that says sequels are horror movies, which is to say that because of the failure rate of the movie industry in general, um, that every movie that succeeds is a surprise, right? Like it's a happy accident, uh, to use your phrase. And so then making a sequel to try to capitalize on that is a horror's move. The exception, of course, being Sister Act 2, the most perfect movie ever made. <laughs> but like the Fast and the Furious or what are those triple X ones? Or as as you've said that I've said, now I'm quoting me back to you, which is speaking of horror's moves. Um, Numbers. Any, yes, any movie with a number. Um, but yeah, I think, I guess all I'm saying is that I think that uh, I, I agree with you that I love that she aims this hard to ha- to think 
oh, it's not my little movie at Sundance that I hope some people like it, that she's like, no, I want people to pay attention. I want people to know me. And And it's a specific ambition. The other reason I like it is because the other thing about Alison Brie is that I started off saying, oh, she's a nice girl, but she's also a lot of people's porn fantasy. Um, she did not do porn that I know of. I just mean like people yeah. fucking love her. She's a she's a type for certain people. She's a type, and but yeah. like she's almost the the poster girl for that type, yeah. right? Like there's a real movement around her. So what I love about that is her going like, yeah, they're gonna be on Reddit anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I may as well take advantage of the fact that all the like Allison Brie fanboys are on yes. Reddit and like press that button. And I appreciate that because. We are coming out of, I hope, an era of a certain filmmaker, and they're all about, like, it's the story and the craft and whatever, whatever, and I'm not going to care about it once it goes into the world. Who says that? Oh, please. The generation of the Scorsese, the Leos, the I mean, that's, that, that, that is, the other, right? That, that is peak fucking movie privilege. Well, and look at this award season. Of course, like, absolutely. And the films that are considered the favorites, right? 1917, Once Upon a Time, we, Irishman. For sure. Or, yeah, all for of sure. These, the, those filmmakers would never, and the actors in those films would never be like, yeah, I want to go viral. Like, well, I'd love for fucking a community. Even though, obviously, how many fucking online communities are dedicated to like Quentin Tarantino and like dissecting the foot shots and the feet shots in all of his films. But, you know, Another point you made a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about those terrible Oscar exclusions was that with the exception of Greta Gerwig, all of the female filmmakers who got shut out, Lulu Wang and Lorraine Scafaria and uh, Alma Harrell and all the rest, need for their films to do well in order to get to make another one, right? Like we're talking about Alison Brie's first movie. That's what we keep saying. Yeah. Ergo... For her to have a second movie, there needs to be, this needs to do well. She needs to get to write another movie. Maybe then direct someday. Maybe a million things. It's a business enterprise. Yeah. And yeah, invoking the the dudes on Reddit to get on board is absolutely like spending her capital. So what if they like looking at her boobs? It's like, great, you can look at my boobs. And have a theory about this space alien thing in my movie. It's very pragmatic and very impressive for that reason. And I love that she articulated it. Mm-hmm. That she actually officially and formally put it in print. Why not? You know, we we talked last week about Brad Pitt and showing us his work. You know, let me see it. Let me see the comedy writing or at least admit to it or at least acknowledge that there's work in involved in it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me the work in, yes, for sure. Sometimes shows and movies go viral for particular moments that are definitely accidents. The thing that comes to mind most recently is Knives Out. Chris Evans wears a sweater in Knives Out. Right. And afterwards, you know, right? Like it went viral and then he put the sweater on his dog and it went even more vile. And that is definitely accidental. You don't know what people are going to cling to. No, for sure. At the same time, It doesn't always have to be an accident. Like, given that social media is a tool now, given that online forums and communities are places that can, you know, resurrect a film or keep a film alive or save a show. Every time. Right? Or save a show or um, at least, you know, 
a rescue a film that nobody noticed and then six months later it becomes this thing, then at least make it a part of the web, like at least make it a part of the repertoire or the skill set, or at least make it a part of the job, understanding it, it, understanding it, going so far as to understand what's out there as an option for you. Exactly. Especially on a personal level. Like we talked about Colin Jost knowing who he is and how to sell himself, right? And I would put Alison Brie in exactly the same category of being somebody who like is famous, but not really capital F famous, right? Like she's not actually that well-known. She's a working actor and knowing very well, not just how am I seen, but also, okay, what do I have going for me? And it's like, okay, I got these, like these fanboys who love my Maxim spreads that I did for community and whatever. Yeah. Great. That's an asset on my tick list. The same way Colin Jost being like, bros want to punch me, but also pose with me in the subway. Yeah. Great. Let's put that on my list. I mean, that is a really honest self-inventory and not in a bad way, right? Like there's nothing, I guess that's the sort of thing that's great about this is using, turning everything that you have into a positive or not going like, oh, I'm a girl who's done Maxim spreads. I can't really write a Sundance movie. Right. Like one of the things that keeps getting said about this, uh, about this movie in the few pieces that have been written is it's the most Sundancey of all the films at Sundance or one of the most yeah. Sundancey. So like maybe there's a theoretical world between those two ideas, but she's like, no, we're going to, we're going to make those worlds. Here's how they can mesh. And to go back to the music analogy, I wonder if this is going to be, have to be a progression in film and for actors. Musicians have been doing this for a while now, like for at least a decade. Taylor Swift does it very well, engaging and tapping into Tumblr and all these online communities to further herself. We just talked about Lil Nas X. I mean, it is almost standard for musicians to do it. But artists in other fields, especially actors in Hollywood and in film, have been slower to do that in a way that's more than just, hey, hey, Instagram, here's my outfit. Yeah, because of Uh, fucking Gen X. It is. I mean, you didn't look surprised when I said that. So maybe you know what I'm going to say. Yeah. But it's a fucking leftover idea of. I can't engage with the people who consume what I do because then I wouldn't be as special as them. Like I, if I, yeah, the people who say, oh, I'm not on Instagram, which I know it's almost done now that people have, how the mighty have fallen, but that was the attitude, right? Like, oh, I'm not involved in that riffraff. Like, fuck you. That's the riffraff literally pays your bills. You, you, I'm, I'm not making this up. You remember when this was a sentiment and not so long ago. Please. Yeah. And so I think you're exactly right that, yeah, people have learned too late maybe that, yes, you're right. Fandoms are what save shows and buy billboards and lobby to get canceled shows back into new networks entirely in some cases, right? They crowdsource, they crowdfund films and whatever. You have to be in their world and in their pocket to to make use of all those people. All those 5 million followers that you have or 50 million or however many aren't shit if they won't mobilize for you. 
You remember how like radical it seemed at the time, I don't know, six or seven years ago, maybe was it that long when Kerry Washington was live tweeting every Thursday during scandal? Oh my God. Yes. Right? Yes. And this, what Alison Bree's doing is kind of the next step in that. It's more than just watching along with your community. It's in advance saying, hey, build one before you see the movie or get one ready because this movie's going to come out and you're going to want a place to talk about this movie. And the other side of that being, and I'll be there. That's right. I feel bad calling out somebody who is not, you know, a famous, famous person. But I listened to this podcast, which I love, called The Pitch. It's not a secret. Like, everybody knows about this podcast, about people go on and pitch things. But there was this guy who was pitching a social media app where basically where high level or high profile people could have conversations that you could watch without actually participating. Yeah. Basically, Twitter for blue checks only without the riffraff. Yeah. And it obviously dismally failed. Right. Because nobody wants that. Like, that's not what it's there for. Uh, And in many cases, that's how Instagram or Twitter already is. But at least there's the illusion that you can be a part of it. Or she references a Reddit AMA in this article, yeah. right? Um, and that's another kind of idea. Ask me anything is what that stands for. That's right. um, is like, yeah, I'm going to come be a part of yeah. you. Uh, and it's, I mean, I feel bad for that guy, but also like many celebrities got it real wrong for a long time. Yeah. So I, I sort of get it. But yeah, the idea is, We've been talking here and there over the last year and a half about the idea that, uh, you know, as as there are many, many more places to get content, then salaries have to come down, then, uh, you know, this the celebrities sort of coming to the level of being regular people. There's also a real uptick of, you know, Chrissy Teigen, speaking of Reddit, always says, like, these are the three Reddits I read before bed, yeah. right? At Just like we do. Or people yeah. watch Dr. Pimple Popper or whatever. There's a real equalizing happening of, no, no, we're all on the same plane. Just some of us do different jobs or some of us are in the public eye. And I think this is like, it's a real beginning of the revolution, right? In the future, when everybody on TikTok is famous. um, You mean next week? Next week. But I mean, every like literally everybody generates their revenue stream. Um essentially the idea of celebrity in the old way is slowly petering out. Yep. I mean, listen, I was resistant to that for a while, but when you have, and we've talked about this, when you have like a YouTube subscription or, uh, sorry, uh, you have a YouTube channel and there are 10 million people subscribed to it, there is in a way more power to that than being a filmmaker. Uh, Absolutely. In the conventional way, the old way, in terms of what that, um, like what value that has today. What, in terms of sheer reach. Market value. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 10 million people, like broadcast TV wishes, you know, at this point. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a real interesting nod to the shifting sands of time. Go Alison Brie. Get but on that seriously, horse alien, and do your Reddit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But seriously, I I want to know how your mother is going to take this because uh, you know, with the farewell and Lulu Wang, 
uh, at Lulu least Wong. Lulu Wong, which yeah. is spelled with an A, hence yeah. the confusion. Um, I guess at least everybody was in on it. Like, I guess it was sort of everybody's story on some level, but yeah. uh, this is a brave one. And I still choose to call my characters fiction and use pseudonyms. No, of course that's not you. They're nothing like you. Their name is Shirley. <laughs> Speaking of viral sensations. And of being late to the game. Cheer on Netflix. How uh, many different people in your life begged you to watch it before you watched? Uh, like, I mean, just you. What? Yeah. Come on. I'm Everybody. Not, I'm not, listen, I'm not, I wasn't, I will say, and I can admit when I'm slow wave on something, but I knew about it. I just didn't have the time to get to it. It's fucking this accelerated award season. I swear to God. I know. Everything's happening at once. Ugh. I understand. But yes, this weekend, I finally got to it. You got to it, what, a couple weeks ago, last week? I would say it was, yeah, I felt late at the time. And let's say for the sake of art, it was, uh, actually, it was two weeks ago tonight because I uh, turned it on during a surprise all-nighter um, and then later caught up on it again when I had more time. Yeah. Um, yes. So, so we're talking about, I mean, listen, if we're going to thread it with our previous conversations... There are certain shows that, yes, you can't predict if they're going to go viral. And then there are certain shows where Netflix at this point is astute enough to know when they have a thing that's going to explode. Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, the thing about Cheer is that if you have not watched it at this point today, um, then you know about it because it was on Ellen, which is basically, you know, it's the same thing as being on the front page of USA Today, which yeah. it probably also was. Um, the It's been everywhere. Uh, but it's it's curious because I do think Netflix sometimes has other, other drops that they hope are as big that don't land. And there's, you know, there's got to be some. Remember a couple of years ago, it was the second season of Making a Murderer dropped like during the holidays when yeah. everybody was off. And you'd think that Cheer having dropped over the like more pure Christmas holidays would have had an even bigger reach, but there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a vacuum and then here it is. It was like a, it dropped and then it was quiet and then it's quiet and then it was a boom. Everybody suddenly, or at least online in certain circles, I do think that I don't think it's peaked yet. I do think it'll probably peak. Like I think by next week it'll be like, listen, BuzzFeed hasn't done uh, 13 times that you whatever. Sure they have. They've done the which, uh, which, which, which Navarro cheerleader are, you? are Yes. But they haven't like, you know, put out the moments like where the catchphrases start taking on. Like, I can't believe that people haven't started saying I'm on the mat. Right. Yet. Or mat talk, if you will. Exactly. Or referring to like if you, I don't know, um... If you end up ended up getting, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. If you um, ended up being asked by your boss to join the um, diversity committee at work, yes, you're on the mat or shitty analogy, but do you know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised it hasn't become that kind of lingo. I feel like I'm only trying to use that kind of lingo with everybody all the time and people hadn't watched it yet. So uh, to to 
I'm not going to be condescending enough to assume that anybody who is listening doesn't know what Cheer is. It's the six-part documentary on Netflix. It's probably on your home screen. But what I will say is the reason why you should watch it if you have skipped over it so far is, uh, I mean, there's many reasons, but it is deceptive because it looks like it's going to be about something light and fluffy and the stories and the characters in it are anything but light or fluffy, right? Yep. Um, The characters are breakout characters. Like we haven't seen reality characters like this. I'll make a confession. I don't know from Housewives. I know that certain Real Housewives are uh, like references, right? Like, uh, Like Ramona or... Uh, who's another one? I don't know. Um, I don't know them either. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> Phaedra? Phaedra, maybe? Sure. Okay. Um, but like, yeah, but it, whatever. These are breakout <laughs> characters of that brand. Yes. Um, and uh, I would say it's, and it's just, it is actually phenomenal filmmaking in a way that you don't expect from something on Netflix about a junior college cheerleading team. So those are the reasons why. If you've been resisting, yeah. if you are contrary, you're my people, but that's the why of it. I wish we could have docs about docs. Oh, right? I, yeah. Like, I wish that while the filmmakers were in um, in Texas shooting this documentary at Navarro Community College, that there was also a documentary team shooting a documentary about the documentary team that was documenting the cheerleaders. Well, I love that you said that because it's kind of what I want to talk about. So um, oh, let me ask you this first. When you were watching it, when did you first know it was special? What was the moment in the show that you first knew this is a special show? Um, Probably the moment that in episode one where we meet Gabby's parents. Yes, you love that. <laughs> oh my God. Cause they're on a couch and they're essentially about to like rip each other's throats out. Because of who's gonna get to tell the story. That's right. And that's when I'm like, yep, I'm in. First of all, these people. Secondly, I'm in. Okay, amazing. Uh I think the my moment is uh probably it was uh the first moment when we hear somebody hit a mat. And hear the bone crunch, like this show, no matter what happens, is going to get every award for sound recording and sound editing because the sound of like flesh on mat and like crunch of rib on crunch is truly spectacular. Um, But one of the things that I love, once you start watching it, you have to start wondering how did they make it? Um, and so one of the things that was amazing is like, obviously it's this team full of like theatrical young people who are thrilled to be doing this and whatever. And one of the interviews I read said like, how did you get the characters to stop playing up for the camera? Yeah. And they said, we just stopped filming. Like they got the clue really quick. Like they trained them like three-year-olds yeah. basically. They're like, we don't give them attention then. Yeah. Like if they were... <laughs> Yes. Right? If they were being like doing things that were not for the cameras, um, then, or or if they were doing things that were overtly for the cameras, they just stopped filming. Well, 
now that you say that, can you imagine then when they, what Ladarius must have been doing when they turned off of Ladarius? Because when they're on him. Oh, he's playing up all the time. <laughs> but also the beauty of that show and the reason that these are amazing characters is because you get the idea that Ladarius and Jerry are those characters all of the time. And yeah. Monica, for that matter. Yes. Right? Monica is described best in my mind, uh, and I cannot take credit for this. I saw it online somewhere as a cross between Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor. Yes. Which is perfect. Perfect. And she's definitely like one of the things when you say doing a doc about the doc crew, there's a point, you know how when you're watching a documentary series like this, there are interviews that you know are the same interview cut all the way through it, right? Because the person's wearing the same outfit or whatnot. And there's an interview, I think, where she's wearing a white blouse where she's eyeing them with such skepticism that you know she doesn't think they're actually going to be able to make anything of this documentary. I don't know if it was an early interview or what. Yeah. I don't know what was happening. But she, the whole time she's sort of giving them the, well, yeah, I have to make the pyramid the way I make the pyramid. And if she can't do it, I'm sorry if her feelings are hurt. Right. It's amazing. It's the whole thing is amazing. I, I, like I said, I'm into the story that's being told in the doc itself. And I want the behind the scenes story, not just like it, it even, you know, I haven't really, I haven't seen a, a stray boom. No. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a stray boom. It's so fucking pro. Um, and even when they don't have enough cameras to capture the thing that might have been the calamity, like the fall or whatever, a break. What they were capturing was enough to fill you in, but it's satisfying that you actually didn't see the fall, that you saw the standby reactions, the stand, like the, the standby, like what, what is that expression? Bystanders? The bystanders. Yeah. The bystanders. That was effective too, in the way they cut it, that you feel like the bystanders at that moment, become the protagonist. Well, I bet... It's fucking amazing. I bet you that that is a real, like, open and shut case of show your work because the filmmakers made, I think, three seasons of a show called Last Chance You on... uh, Also on Netflix, which is a much more uh, one-to-one Friday Night Lights comparison, which is to say it's about uh, football players who are in their last chance to get a chance to play in the blah, 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 the NCAA, which... Maybe they can play in the NFL then. So they made that show. I'll bet you they worked out all their mistakes mm. there, right? Yeah. They, that's where they learned, A, how to film the action and yeah. how to get the boom out of the shop. But also that like watching a football game, like watching a cheerleading routine, you don't always know exactly where to put your eyes. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, when you have your favorites um, and you're watching your favorite and like, is Morgan going to be able to do the thing? Like, is she up to this? And then maybe something happens over in a different corner that you weren't watching. So I think that's why it's satisfying maybe because they're filming it almost as though your eye would watch it. Yeah. How they do that, I don't, I don't know. I can't know. I also, I think that it's so interesting to me, like, obviously this is a documentary, so all of it is raw, but I'd like to know what is the raw of the raw. You mean what they left out? What they left out, but also 
in these stories, we all know they they roll and they let it play out. And so gradually characters will emerge. And then at the end of the day, the filmmakers will assess in their own team. Tomorrow, we're going to focus on this person because this was happening and we'll spend time with this person. And over time, certain people fade to the background. Like, um, listen, I can't remember her name, but she's like the only Asian girl on the team. Oh, um, yes. Uh, what's her name? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, because she's a flyer. Right. She's for sure a flyer. Listen to us. Like, (laughs) (laughs) oh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay. So, for those of you who haven't watched (laughs) Cheer yet, a flyer is the girl at the very top of the pyramid. And there are usually, well, in this formation, there are three of them and one's in the middle and one, like, there are two on the sides. And this girl was a flyer. She got hurt. She was one of the ones who got a concussion, I think. In she was the first concussion. She was yeah. our, our inaugural concussion. So, again, she's a flyer. So these are, like, marquee. Not everybody can do that, as we learn, right? Right. But I have to sidebar, but it's an important sidebar. I was thinking, well, no, I'm sure they know what a flyer is because there's actually been other cheerleader reality shows before. Yes. There's been a few and there've been uh, scripted shows or people like bring it on or whatever, but they haven't been to this level. And I can see how if you watched Cheerleader Nation, which I did, or a short one that was Canadian that I can't remember, which I also did, that you might think, I don't need cheer also. I know what a flyer is. I know what a tumbling gym is, but it's so much more which is why you need to watch it and maybe we'll find out what her name is. <laughs> but yes, yes, she didn't have a story that right? came to the but forefront. But on day one, everybody has a shot. Absolutely. Just like in Cheer. There's oh my God. <laughs> just like there's 40 and then we cut to 20 who'd make it to Matt. Right. So, and then slowly certain storylines emerge, certain people become more interesting to follow or the narrative shapes itself and others fall by the wayside. I'd love to see the raw of the raw to not only like, because at this point we know which ones rose to the top or came to the front. I'd like to know why the ones who faded into the background faded. Right. And this is not a case of Donnie Brasco. Like I always have a thing about, um, you know, in whatever crime syndicate movies or gangster movies, I don't want to know about the fucking lowly soldier in the back, right? There's a reason why you make the story about the boss and the right-hand person. I mean, uh, do you think that the usual suspect supports or negates your theory? So I'm being a hypocrite here because I'm saying that typically in these gangster movies, I don't want to know about the lowly dude. The one who, like, just drives and doesn't rise to the top. Right. But in this case, I do. I, see, I think I'm always a sucker for an underdog story, and I might just be, that just might be a different. No, no, but this isn't an underdog story. But it is, though. But go on. I mean, I, I, I like, I, I both want to hear what you have to say and to fight you before you say it, so. <laughs> this isn't necessarily an underdog story in that whoever didn't come forward in the narrative is like steaming about it. 
and like is I should have been the star of this. Oh my God, that says a lot, therapy couch, about what you think of underdogs. Um, this is no, no, this is about was it intentional? Were were there some people who were like, yeah, this is not gonna be for me. So I'm just not going to give them what they're looking for. I doubt that. I don't think that these people are savvy enough for that. And that's not a, I'm not, that's not a detractor at all. I think one of the reasons that people love shows like this, uh, love the sports documentaries, love shows like Cheer, even Encore, which I've devoured on Disney Plus, is because the earnestness of the athletes involved and the love of the sport supersedes everything else. Are you really telling me that, I don't know, uh, Sherbs or, or TT or one of the other players who doesn't have a real like number one role was like, I'm going to hold back from the filmmakers. No, they're all bleeding cheer. They're all like, I love this. See, I, I, Agree to a point where, yes, you're talking about like um, a natural setting where all of these people are peacocks. But not even peacocks, but but uh, unable. But it's almost a combination of peacock and horse girl, if you will, like just unable to contain their fucking love for that thing that makes their blood beat. Yeah, but even in television, if you take the ecosystem of a television set, for example, everybody on the set loves TV. Sure. And is super engaged in the art of this storytelling. But some people are behind the camera and then there are fame whores who are in front of the camera. I'm one of them. So I work with producers. I met you as a producer. Your chosen thing was, your preference was, no, 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 I'm going to be back here and I'm still doing my thing, which is very valuable. And I know, and listen, you, your excuse me, I was the Monica your, in that situation. Your flavor a little bit. Yes, your flavor a little bit is you like to straddle both. But you and I both know producers who, when the camera comes around, is running down the hall. Yeah, and I don't yes, like look away I, from the camera. Yes, I get your point, but Monica aside, and I, I said that because it's it's truthful. Like I like yes. um I like being in the power position. Yeah. Um, but with the exception of Monica, and you'll notice that her assistant coaches both get a lot of cameras time still, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. All of those people are front and center. They're all being the performer. Every last one of them wishes they were Gabby Butler. Like, (laughs) because in their world, that's a thing. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't think I, I hear you, but in this case, I don't, I'm sure that there are some of them who know oh, I don't have what Ladarius has. But I think they think it's like, I don't have a strong enough, like, clean out of my double tumble back or whatever. Uh, I don't think they think, oh, I don't have a good story. I don't think that any of those people thought, I have such a great story. This crew is going to be all over me. Um, And I think that's what made the show great. I don't, I didn't feel like anybody on that screen was feeding their story because they thought it would be great. They thought they were either all interesting or all not interesting in equal measure. I do think that there were some people who are like, I do think I have an interesting story. I'm just not here to tell it to you. 
I I mean, I, I believe that anywhere else, but in this case, maybe not. However, mm-hmm. even if I'm right in season one, I worry that you will be right in season two. Mm. And I have a stomach ache about it. Are they doing a season two? It's not confirmed, but they're doing cutesy wink winks on okay. um, OMG Kalen uh, with right. Ellen. I don't know if they, uh, they certainly have done that segment with Kalen yeah. that was all over uh, the internet this weekend. I don't know whether they've been on Ellen or will have been by the right. time this airs. Um, but like, it's all but assured. Okay. Um, it's, so has it been spoiled? And by that we mean, has the purity of Navarro Junior College and like what they were going for been spoiled? Is a question. Yeah. Um, you know, on on the cheer Reddit, uh, there were people who uh apparently there were some amendments made to the to the cheer organization's rules and regulations that maybe Navarro can't compete next year because they participated in this, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm sure somebody will find a way around that somehow. Um, but was yeah. that petition put forward by Trinity? Uh, probably, <laughs> or by well, I can't tell you because. I'm going to call you out live on the podcast. As of this recording, you haven't finished. No, I'm up to, um, I'm, I'm, I have two episodes left. I finished four. By the time this podcast goes to air, you will have finished. No question. Yes. So, uh, you know, you can. I just fucking watch the Grammys. Well, you can save your yells because (laughs) you will know all these things. Yeah. But there is, there's an evil character who's introduced uh, who may be the architect of this of this petition? Uh huh. But no matter what, they've been on. Like you've seen them on the internet. You've seen the BuzzFeed articles about them. About you know where are they now and which which. Well, I was just saying, like I didn't know that there was a BuzzFeed about which characters are you, but I haven't seen the buzz. I don't think that there's a BuzzFeed like 15 times that uh, cheer made you blah blah blah. Right, but they're yeah. but they're out there, right? If, yeah. If you read a tweet tomorrow saying like, are you a Morgan or a Lexi? You would know what that meant. Yeah. Right? Like- Am uh, I a Morgan or a Lexi? I think I'm a Lexi. Okay. Um, you sent Sasha and I a tweet yesterday saying, I would sacrifice both of you <laughs> to be friends with Jerry and Ladarius. <laughs> Correct. Like you're part of it too and they're part of pop culture, right? Yeah. Jerry and Ladarius, no last names at all are our pop culture moments out. Jerry on its own. If yes. you like walked into a room at work tomorrow and said, I love Jerry. Who doesn't love Jerry? Everybody would say, I love Jerry too. Yeah. So how do you go back to the purity of that show for a second year? If you're a producer, do you do it? Would you do it? Well, to your point, are people constantly graduating? Like, She's Monica's always talking to these kids about have you applied? Where are you going to go? Like the city college experience seems on cheer to have to be like a stepping stone towards another college, right? Like she says that to Lexi or she says it to Morgan, where are you going to apply? Uh, yes. Uh, the the fundamental idea is that you're only supposed to spend 2, two years, years and then you're going to go somewhere else. And another your ac- degree. Ac- that's right. But. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Right. Stuff. 
like again, there's some stuff that the that we learn in the show, and then there's the stuff that has happened post show in real life, right? There's right. there's it's it's online spoilers. It's like when I suddenly understand why reality shows in the like you know, 1.0 used to lock people in hotel rooms until the show had aired. Right. Because things come out that you've learned that change. I see your point. If they have a new squad, then you can tell the story the same way again, sort of, because now there's, even if you had a whole new team of people, there are now bajillions of people who know what and where Navarro is who never knew before. You're signing selfies in airports in a way that you never were. The winner is Navarro, the actual institution, not the team necessarily, but the institution. Hey, oh, for sure. There will be a million more people applying and trying to go there. And, and the town of Corsica. Corsicana, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But if you are, we were talking about the purity of, of, of knowing your audience versus like making something for your audience versus making something pure. Yeah. If you are those filmmakers – would you go back and find a way to make it as good and pure and untold as the first time? Or would you say, I'm going somewhere else? Like same concept, same recipe. I'm going to the worst team in in the tournament to see if I can make them better. I'd stay. You would? Yeah. And what would be off the top of your head? What's your spin? What's your storyline for season two? Well, I think that's my spin is to see whether or not it's the fame has corrupted. Right. That's the true documentary, right? Right. Like now, now it's truly a laboratory experiment. But that's now not, you're not making the same documentary that you made in season one, which was look how hard these people work. And did you know it was possible for ribs to be popped out of place? The story has changed. Now it's, now you... On top of all the things that we just learned about these people, now you add fame as an ingredient. Right. What happens? I mean, that's a fascinating topic that has been covered and that I don't think anybody ever gets tired of covering, but it's not the same show. No. Right. I think I would, I think I would go somewhere else. Um, And maybe you do a check-in at Navarro the way that we got a little glimpse of Trinity Valley, right? Yeah. To to see what happens. Maybe I even invite Monica to whatever school in like upstate Wisconsin or something I who want to be players. But uh I but I think I would do it a different way. I think I'd always want to find because even those players at at upstate Wisconsin or whatever will have seen the show and know what it is, right? The way that uh, I don't know, Survivor had to change the game because there were players who were so well-versed at See, it. See, that's where it would be less interesting for me because then if already the chemistry is already going to be changed, I'd rather see how it gets changed in the homeland. But I mean, sure. But I guess there are as many interesting stories to be told in a million other places that we don't see them, right? Like this is what Kathleen and I were talking about, I believe that there are, she said, how can there be this many great stories on one team? And I think there are this many great stories. This is where I was going with your, with your, uh, uh, the loser guy at the back of the crime boss no, team. No, no, not loser. Just the person who doesn't want their story told. Well, but that's, what did, but what did we call them though? We said, uh, the, not the also ran, there was another expression, but the person who, 
is the the underdog. Mm-hmm. Um, there are stories like that everywhere if you if you look to tell them, right? So I think I think that's my gut right now. I think I would go somewhere else, and I bet that we could make you care again. It's like Fargo. Yep. I don't care that much about Fargo. Okay, fine. <laughs> I whatever. I'm sure that there is a simile that I will think yeah. of as soon as we stop recording. Um, but yeah, I listen. Cheer. I think cheer is has not peaked yet. I don't think. I don't. I think we still have at least a month to go. Let us know if you feel differently about cheer now that the uh, characters are on your Instagram and people are referencing them as opposed to when you were looking at a little window into Corsicana, Texas. And let us know what you want to see if, wink, wink, there's a season two of Cheers, what you want. Do you want to go back to Navarro or do you want somewhere fresh? And as we get closer and closer to the Oscars, let us know what you need out of this awards season We love hearing from you, your thoughts on the race or lack thereof this year, on the movies that have surprised you and the people whose dresses are going to be the big things we talk about. Please keep your emails, letters, letters like by carrier pigeon (laughs) and uh, tweets and Instagrams coming. We do have one more regular episode before the Oscars. That's next week. And then let us know if you want us to do another uh, behind the scenes at the Oscars the way we did for the Golden Globes. Joanne and I will be heading to LA um, soon. We're heading to LA. Let us know um, if you want us to hit the record button on our negotiations that night for what we're writing. Um, And as always, subscribe to Show Your Work wherever you get your podcasts. Leave reviews and comments. They help shape our show. They help people find our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 